Hey everybody, I'm Danny. I'm an alcoholic. How many minutes would you like me to speak for? I'll set my timer. Uh, how about 40? And then we'll pray fast at the end. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Let me try to raise some energy up since 50 of you I cannot see. So I'll have to kind of fake some enthusiasm because the less of you I can see, the less fun it is for the speaker. I don't know if you guys know that. Can you imagine if the speaker looked like this the whole time while I was talking? How's that? Are you, does that feel intimate to you? Here, look into my eyes as I tell you what happened to me, what it was like. And then what happened to me after I got the magic of AA? Can you see the magic of AA in my eyes? Oh no, you're missing it. So I think you get the point. I'd really love to see you guys because while I'm speaking, I scroll from page to page and I try to look at people and I try to connect. So it's already difficult enough uh, having only two brain cells and zooming in my office. So anyway, um, here we go. I often wonder what people are doing too when you can't see them. Are you are you painting a room, or you know, are you are you playing basketball? Are you cooking? Are you naked? You know what the heck are you doing? I know that when I was getting loaded, it was the only thing I concentrated on. It was I. It was right there, you know. So I make this right there, you know. That's what I'm saying. If I want to be, yeah. Anyway, you get it. So here we are, Sunday night, December. We're not drinking. We're all in our houses, trying to be good in a pandemic, watching people walk around with their nostrils sticking out of their mask, wondering what the heck is that about? You ever wonder about that thing right there? You know, are the, are the lungs not connected to the nose? Anyway, um, I'd like to thank uh, Pej for uh, asking me to speak. I don't know, it was about six months ago or something, I think. Thanks, Pej, I appreciate it. Uh, I want you to get off your computer while we do this, Pej. Uh, put your phone away, put your computer away, just stop doing, even those two guys playing chess in Big Sur, just stop it! No, I'm just kidding. I'm fucking kidding. <laughs> oh, that felt good. My dog just freaked out. Anyway, um, I haven't had a drink since February 18th, 2008. I also haven't shot any black tar heroin. I haven't snorted any crystal meth. I haven't gone through the carpet smoking my toenails. I uh, haven't spent three days in a row naked, covered in Vaseline, peeking out my window, thinking the DEA was outside. I have not uh, chewed a mouthful of uh, Klonopin and drove to the store in my underwear. None of that stuff has happened. I haven't uh, crawled to the my bedroom from the living room because I was so drunk that I couldn't stand. I have not wet my bed for almost 13 years. Um, my daughter knows where I have been for the last almost 13 years every night. And that's saying something. And that's only because I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, if you have a problem other than alcohol, welcome. If you like snortable alcohol, welcome. If you like injectable alcohol, welcome. If you like smokable alcohol, if you like pill form alcohol, if you like jamming things like that one guy, evidently, he liked jamming fists inside of him, you are welcome too. Just stay here. Just stay here. Pay attention. Look to the people 
that you, you, you want what they have and just do what they do. That's what I did. Um, my, my sponsor's name is Earl and I've been uh, doing what, trying to do what that man does since like 1997. So let's see, uh, 36 minutes left. Um, uh, my father was a Colonel in the Air Force. I, I used to have two brothers. I'm the middle. I'm the middle child. If anybody else is the middle, I know being the middle kind of sucks. You know, uh, no one treats you special because you're in the middle. The little one got special favors because he was so cute and he was the little mascot. And my older brother got all the privileges because he was oldest. And I was Mr. Scapegoat, Mr. Target. Everything's your fault. Um, I came from abuse of abusive home. Uh, we had a leather belt that we used to actually have to go get. You know, like some people you heard about, you know, go get a, a, a whip, like I forgot what they, you know, call it when you go get, have to go get a stick, you know, to whip you with, you know. And so if you're doing something, if I did something wrong, I had to go get the belt, you know, and then bring it to him so that he could beat me with it. And while, he, and if you put your hand back there to block the belt, then he would turn it around and you'd get hit with the belt buckle. So I wasn't very happy. Uh, I was told that I'd be nothing. Uh, I would never be nothing. That uh, that I was a loser. Uh, yeah, that's what I was told. And uh, first thing I remember that I can think of, just sitting here right now, the only thing I really remember about being a little kid was is that I didn't want to be me. I just wanted out. I wanted out of my body. You know, I just wanted to be away from everybody. And uh, I was scared all the time. I was always afraid. I just, I hated, you know, I knew my father was a, he was a navigator. So he'd be gone for a long time. And when he came home, it was just, it was terrible. It was, it was terrible. Um, so uh, when I was 12 years old, I took my first drink, but before I took my first drink, I had been, I felt uh, restless and irritable my whole life. The only, I had no real, role model i didn't have a male role model at all i had no one really to look up to you know except like you know uh, rock stars and uh things i say on movies but in my house my father was not somebody to look up to he was just somebody to fear and uh, i started visiting child psychiatrists um people started asking me right away when i was about i don't know eight or nine or ten years old people started asking me all the time deborah's favorite thing people started asking me What's wrong with you? What's the matter with you? You know, we are a group of people. Everybody that we've ever known has sat across from us, whether it was our parents or our husbands, our wives would ask us, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why do you do that? You promised you wouldn't do that. What's the matter with you? And if you're like me, the answer was, I don't know. I don't know. I do not know what's wrong with me. I was convinced by the time I got to AA, the reason that I did the things I was, was because I was a loser. I didn't know that I was an, I knew I was an alcoholic, but I didn't know what alcoholism was. I didn't know that I had a, a spiritual malady with a mental obsession coupled with the phenomenon of craving. I just thought I was an asshole because everybody told me I was, right? And uh, so when I was 12 years old, you know, um, oh, but when I was 10, I sat behind a set of drums and I can play the drums for some reason. And uh, I wonder what Carrie's doing. 
Join the meeting. There you go. That see, look how much better it is with you here. Ta-da. See, I really am looking at you guys. Hey, Frankie, welcome, by the way. You got a great smile. You're going to help a lot of people. That smile right there is going to attract a lot of people on AA. I just look around just for a minute and just say hi to everybody. Hi, Jesse. How you doing? Nice to see you. Um, there's the dragon den. Hey, Max, how you doing, brother? All right. Welcome. Hawk, I love how you have your phone number up like that. That's really the first side of the triangle right there. I can't stay sober, but we seem to be able to. Hi, Sonia, Troy, Britton, how you doing, pal? Good to see you. You're familiar. Cass, welcome. All right. Jeff, we're in Jeff Levinsky's phone right now. No wonder I, I feel a little cramped. I thought it was kind of crowded in here. So now back to the, anyway. When I was 10 years old, I sat behind a set of drums and I could play the drums. It was the only thing I had going for me as a kid. I could, uh, I'm older, so Cheech and Chong was real popular when I was a kid. I could do Cheech and Chong for all everybody. I learned that I could make people laugh so I could perform for you. Even though I hated you, I couldn't stand you. I didn't like you, but I needed you to love me. It's a crazy thing. It's this marriage that I have of please stay away from me, but love me, you know, and I learned that, uh, you know, if I could make you laugh, you know, I felt accepted. And then I, I wanted to be John Bonham. I wanted to be the next John Bonham. If you don't know who that is, he was the drummer from Led Zeppelin. Uh, I also like Buddy Rich too. So I never had a drink until I was 12 years old. When I was 12 years old, we were living in Washington, DC. Nixon was uh, getting ready to resign. And uh, these guys took me out to a baseball dugout. It was an abandoned baseball dugout. And somebody handed me a bottle of Boone's Farm strawberry wine. There's the lady in the dragon den. Have you ever had Boone's Farm strawberry wine? Yes, it's like, it's like gasoline. It, you know, it's not enjoyable, but it's, it's like turpentine. So I drank the whole bottle. And uh, up until that day, I had always felt scared, stupid, ugly, short, dumb, you know, I was told a lot of those things. And when I got that booze in me, that thing happened that they talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's just like that. Uh, suddenly I felt, Pedge, get off the computer. Stop it. Pedge, set an example. We're all looking at you. Hi, Pedge. You know, remember that thing that happened, Pedge, the first time you drank? I, suddenly I didn't feel like a little guy anymore. I felt, I felt, I felt funny and I felt like I exhaled for the first time in my life. I felt okay. I didn't know that uh, for the next 25 years of my life, it was going to take thousands of dollars to feel like that, that I was going to have to rip off the people that I loved the most, that I was going to have to alienate the people that cared about me. The only people in the world that gave a shit about me, I was going to have to break their hearts just to feel okay, just to get out of right here, right now, you know? So, you know, the tweakers, I know you're out there, tweakers. I know you're out there fixing things that ain't broken. I know. I know, taking the smoke detector off the ceiling because there's a camera in there. I know, I know you're out there. So I know that some of you guys like to go real fast and you know not eat for nine days. I know, I've been there. And I know that you're the people that like the black tar heroin and the Zanzibars and the Klonopin and the, and the uh, Oxycontin and, and the Dilaudid. Uh, I know, I love them. I lo and anything in between that, give it to me. What do you got? 
but it's not about going down and it ain't about going up. It's about getting right out of here because here and now without a drink in me or a drug, I'm terrified. I'm nothing. I'm a piece of shit. I don't deserve to be standing here. But if I take enough things and put it in me, I feel like I can maybe not commit suicide today. That was, that was me. Um, so uh, how I got to Cal, uh, so I was running away a lot, going to a lot of psychiatrists, uh, group homes, reform schools, juvenile hall. Uh, when I was 17, my entire family moved to the Philippines. Um, when I was 19, I had a set of drums that didn't match. And uh, I don't know if there's any other liar. Hey, Britain, did you ever tell so many lies that you didn't know what was reality and what was a lie anymore? You know what I mean? I have fond memories of shit that never even happened to me. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when you just sit there and you have this moment where you think, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Did that happen? You know? And I, the true part of the story is I, somebody told me, hey, Rod Stewart needs a drummer. There's going to be an audition in two weeks in Hollywood. And they gave me the address to where to show up. Things were a lot different than it was 1979. I put my drums in the bottom of a Greyhound bus and I came out to Hollywood to be a big rock star. Um, when I got to the Greyhound bus station in downtown, there was a pawn shop open all night and all my drums went right into my left arm. But I told so many people that I played drums for Rod Stewart that when Stay With Me comes on the radio still, I have to stop and admire my own drumming. Because I told everybody all my life I would pose and go out, pretend. Until, you have no idea the lengths I went to. I had friends that had a limo company. They put me in the back with a bunch of, you know, with a bunch of other people. They'd go to the, uh, we'd show up at like the Roxbury or the Whiskey. The driver would get out just like a driver and tell him, hey, listen, I got Rod Stewart's drummer here. We need, and nobody knows what to look for. You know what I mean? And I would just pretend I was that guy. And I had to pretend I was that guy. Because I couldn't just walk in and say, hi, I'm Danny. You know, the guy that's going to steal your TV when you go to sleep. You know, the guy that's going to try to fuck your girlfriend. You know, the guy that's going to rip you off. The guy that's going to make you sorry that you uh, recommended me for a job. You know, Danny. Hi. Yeah. So I got to pretend to be something I'm not because I hate myself. I'm miserable. I'm, 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 I, I don't deserve... Uh, anything, you know, I have this tiny little, I have, I used to hear about low self-esteem when I first came to AA and I used to think I'd like to get some of that. I would love low self-esteem seeing how I have like minus, you know, those refrigerators are talking about that. They got to keep the COVID-19 in minus 90 degrees. That's where my self-esteem was right down there, you know, but I had this giant ego. How dare you talk to me like that? You know, you probably know what I'm talking about. Frankie, do you know what I'm talking about? I said to this guy the other day, you feel me? And he goes, nah. So I rubbed myself up against him. And I said, now do you feel me? That was a comedic break. Anyway. Uh, for the next couple of years, I'd show up to auditions with no drums. Um, life was uh, uh, just day to day, moment by moment, pounding away. Uh, large amounts of whiskey, Southern Comfort, second all, two and all, Dilaudid, uh, eight balls of Coke, um, 
then I got a job as an electrician because I knew music was up and down. I knew I picked a trade, which has held me uh, in good stead. My To this day, I'm now an electrical superintendent. Uh, it's the one thing, work always made sense for me. You know, I could, if I, sh you know, we're the people here that, you know, they say, you know, Danny, you're the best electrician we have when you show up, you know? I know a lot of us heard that a lot, you know, you're the best blah, blah, blah. Or you, you know, you could just be the greatest da, 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 da. If you could only stay sober, boy, those are some tricky words at the end. That's a big giant. If, if you could only stay sober. Yeah. So in 19, let's see how I'm doing on the time. Check my time here. 23 minutes and 41 seconds. When I was 22 years old, okay, when I was 22 years old, it was 1982, I was living in Civic Center Park. I hadn't seen my family since I was about, I hadn't seen my mom since I was like 15 or 16. I didn't, at this point, I didn't know where they were. I wasn't sure. Uh, I didn't have any friends. Um, I was living a, on the street and I was wearing everything I owned. Um, uh, I would uh, come to in doorways, beaten up, or you know, with shit in my pants. Um, and I would watch people. You know, it's I would hide, like I would try to hide, like uh, in trees or in alleys and stuff. And because I just couldn't stand for people to see me. You know, I had really long hair, I was in mats, and I'd cover it in my face. And I would watch people uh, going to work. And that just puzzled me how people could do that. Uh, I watched people being friendly to each other. And I, I longed to have something like that, like a, a friend that was uh, kind to me. And I wanted, I, I wanted that, but I didn't know how to get it. It just seemed way out of reach for me. And uh, I knew I was never going to be nothing. And I, everything I ever touched was just going to be shit. And uh, I, I, try, I wanted to commit suicide, but I was too chicken, you know? And uh, I would just, I'd panhandle for change. Once in a while, I'd get a hold of some dope. Or I'd run into bars and drink the drinks. Uh, when people would turn their head or something, I would drink their drinks or take drinks and pour them in a pitcher and make a big giant drink out of them. I would do almost anything to get a drink. And uh, I've, I probably looked like I was 50. I was iodine color. Uh, I was a wino. That's what I was. And all those dreams I had, you know, as a kid, I never, when, 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 they, when they'd ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? When I was like 10, you know, when we were living in Japan, I didn't say, well, you know what I'd like to be? I would like to be on a 5150. That's where I want to be. I want to be in Glendale Adventist Hospital, strapped down with a catheter jammed up in me. Yeah. I want to, I want to pick through a trash can and look for uh, beer cans with a little bit of liquid in them, hoping that it's alcohol. No, I wanted to be a drummer or I wanted to be a baseball player. But unfortunately, alcoholism had other ideas. So don't worry, the story has a very happy ending because I end up in Alcoholics Anonymous surrounded by friends and love. Um, so 
here's how I found AA. I was, no one ever told me, you know, as crazy was all the mental institutions I was in, the jails, the hospitals, the reform schools, no one ever said, you should try AA. No one ever said that. I never even heard of it. So when I was uh, 1982, I'm hiding in a phone booth and somebody put a bumper sticker in there. It says, do you have a drinking problem? Call this. It showed this number, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had nowhere to go. Now, back in those days, you could make a collect call without a coin. And I called and this lady answered. And she asked me if I could make it. Do you think you could make it to this meeting? And it was straight up a hill. So I walked into this meeting. It was scary. Now, I know there are some of you. Hey, um, Dale. Dale, you look familiar. I think I've seen you before around Laguna. Dale, were you ever a blackout drinker? Did you ever just show up in places and wonder how you got there? Did you ever do that, Dale? Dale, if you're not, I could, I could hear you. Dale, talking to you. Yes, did you? How about you, Frankie? Did you ever black out? Did you ever walk into a bar for the first time and you think this is a... Britain, did you, were you a blackout drinker? I need a blackout drinker, damn it. You know, I used to walk into bars and I would think, well, I'll go into this bar. I'm not unwanted here. And the bartender would stop and he'd point to me and he'd go, you, get the fuck out. And I would think, I've never even been here. Well, apparently I had been there before. I just didn't remember. And I remember distinctively 1982 walking up this hill, getting ready to walk into this meeting. Oh no, I hope this wasn't a place I went to in a blackout because if I had been there before, they're going to ask me to leave or five guys are going to want to go and fight in the parking lot. And the opposite happened. You know, I walked in and this big dude came running up to me. And now I look like a chick on speed, right? I was like a size none, you know, like that, right? And, but I thought I looked tough, right? And I walked in with my, you know, my, you know, those people, when you meet them, the first thing you meet is their neck, you know? It's just right, like, hello, right here, yeah, hello, you know, right? So I'm like, you know, putting my best tough guy look on. And this big guy runs over and he says, this is what he says. He says, I love you. And then he hugs me. And there was nothing I could do about it because he was like the size of a nose guard on a football team, right? Now, when I was shooting dope and drinking in the gutter, ain't nobody was hugging me, man. I'd been wearing the same clothes for six months, right? I was like Michelangelo. If I take my socks off, the skin would have came off too, you know? And I remember I I couldn't do a thing about it. That guy kept hugging me and I told him, don't hug me. And he hugged me every single night and I would drink all day. The next day I would sit in the park and I would drink short dogs of wine. And all day I would be in anxiety thinking, I really want to go to that meeting because I felt something there. There was something beautiful that I felt there. I don't know what it was, right? I know now what it was, is that it was kindness and it was safety, and there was hope, and there was a promise of that I could have that too. I didn't know that, but I just knew I felt something, but I had to get past a hug from a dude, you know what I mean? And it was almost too much. It almost kept me. A one hug from a dude almost kept me from a life of happiness. It's crazy, you know what I mean? And if you're a dude, you probably know what I'm talking about, you know, because we don't hug, you know what I mean? So anyway, One night when I walked in, he didn't come up and hug me. He just stood there talking to his friends. And I remember I just kind of inched kind of over like, hey, Alcoholics Anonymous transformed me in three weeks into from tough guy, look at my neck to where's my hug? 
you know, because I'm a human being, because inside of me, the base inside of me wants to be loved and I want to love. That's who I am. I am a loving human being and I've been in conflict with that man all my life. All my life, I thought I had to be a tough guy because I didn't have any role models. I didn't have any until I got to AA. So anyway, I started eight years of I sponsor myself. Perhaps some of you have met people like this in AA. You know, if you've ever been like in a GSR, you've been a GSR or area service and you go to these meetings, you can see these kind of people I'm talking about. I'm not saying that all area service people are like that. I'm just saying that there are a lot of people at these meetings that are miserable. You ever go to meetings and they're miserable? Stay, if you're new, stay away from miserable people. They're doing AA wrong, okay? You're not supposed to be miserable in AA. I can prove it. Let's just go to my book right here. Here it is. The basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous. And guess what they call it? Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the quietest secret in AA. Carrie, you're yawning. Right when I pulled the big book out, you yawn. I know. If you're new, by the way, and you can't sleep and you're kicking opiates, this will put you right out, by the way. You just start reading this thing, man, you'll be asleep in a minute. But anyway, I can prove to you that AA is supposed to be fun. I don't even need to look it up. It's on page 132, right in the middle. If you're OCD, it's 17 lines down, 17 lines up, two words from the edge on each side. It says, we absolutely insist on enjoying life. So if you see people miserable in AA, stay the fuck away from them. Go to the happy people. Go to people like Ped. Look at Jesse. I don't even know Jesse, and he looks comfortable. He looks like a happy dude. Look at Frankie. She looks happy. She looks pretty happy. So you go to meetings when we're allowed to go back to meetings, or, or if you're going on to Zoom and you see the happy people like Hawk right there, that, that, he looks pretty happy. And then what you do, here's what you do. You, you chat them up. You go to a personal little chat thing and you click on and you go, hey, Hawk, my name's Tim and I'm two days sober and you look happy. Are you really sober? And you'll go, yeah, I'm fucking sober. You're sober without drugs and alcohol? Yeah, I am. How did you do it? How did you do it? How did you get comfortable inside your own skin without a pitcher of martinis and a teener of meth? How did you do that? Right? Because that's what it's about. So let's get to the circle and the triangle, shall we? Anyway, what I'm saying is stick around the happy people, the comfortable people. Just find the comfortable, happy people that look there. Pej is a great example. Pej is pretty much always happy, you know, pretty much. And he's right in the middle of AA. So you, you stick around people like that because that's what they mean by AA is a program of attraction, not promotion. It's not about people that are standing there talking about, I got the book for sale. I got the AA for sale. It's they're showing you how AA works in their working life and how happy they are. So let's go to the circle and triangle, shall we? I have a visual aid. There it is, the circle and triangle. So this is an ancient symbol. It showed up in AA on our second edition, right? That's a real second edition, by the way. There you go. On the second edition, and we, 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 we started using it in 1955. That ancient symbol means mind, body, and spirit. Therein lies a whole human being, the balance that I need. And we changed it to unity, recovery. I feel like a science teacher. 
This is the shoulder bone. Okay. Unity, recovery, and service, right? So the first side of the triangle is unity. That's why we all meet, right? We're a bunch of clever people. We can all somehow magically stay loaded without a job or money. Wow. How do you do that? You got to be pretty fucking clever to stay drunk and loaded without a job or money, right? Oh, yeah. Cass, I bet you've done some pretty crazy things to get right. Clever, right? I'm pretty clever, too. I can tattoo and build a, 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 a power plant. I can take apart a Harley. I can paint. I can draw. I can sing. I can play the guitar. But when it comes to, to not drinking this drink, sitting here in this house all by myself, I'm a complete miserable failure. I need you. Me plus you is a power greater than myself. Unity is the body, so I bring it to a meeting. And I find other people that have been through what I've been through, but they say, hey, I felt like you felt. I, too, was hopeless. I, too, had my life folding over on me. I, too, owed everybody I knew money. I, too, lost my kids. I, too, don't know where my family is. But because I've now completed the second side of the triangle, right, because this ain't about stopping, I've stopped before. We've all stopped before. How many people, raise your hand that are on, how many people have more than one sobriety date? How many people don't have their original sobriety date? Okay, right. So this, if this was just about stopping, we'd all be winners. It's about how do I stay stopped? How do I fit comfortable enough inside of Danny, go out of the house, come in contact with a lot of other human beings, not owe everyone any of them an amends, or end up in jail or in Thalian's mental center. How do I do that and have a working life and be of service and be useful to people? That's the second side of the triangle, right? Recoveries of the mind. Recoveries of the mind. Unity is the body. I bring it to a meeting. Recoveries of the mind. I work the 12 steps, right? I have to work the 12 steps if I'm going to be in a 12-step program. Go figure that, right? So I got to trust God, clean house, and help others. Now, I know I was talking to a guy about a month ago. He says, well, I have a real trust issue. Oh, really? Aren't you the guy that used to go behind a dumpster at a Chevron station and buy Coke from this dude? And you'd run home and you'd just snort it, right? We've gone right into a bar and had somebody give a key bump, right? There didn't seem to be a trust issue then. Why have one now, right? So... I mean, think about it. We, we all do have the natural ability to trust. When I drive my car, I'm not every time I stop looking in the rearview mirror, making sure the person behind me stops. I just trust that that person is stopping behind me, right? I couldn't live like that. How can I live like that? So I'm going to trust that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. What does that mean? So let's talk about the steps. I feel like doing the steps. Step one, what's the problem? Well, lack of power is my problem, like Cass and I just talked about, right? I'm good at a lot of things, but when it comes to not drinking and using, lack of power is my problem. I have tried to control it. I can't control it. And because of that, my life is completely unmanageable. I owe everybody money. I keep getting losing my jobs. The girl of my dreams keeps losing me. I get kicked out of bands. Landlords ask me to leave. Life completely unmanageable. I find myself in places I wouldn't want to be because of the fact that I am completely powerless. So step two, what's the, what's the solution? That a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. What does that mean? First, where is the step two in the book? It's on page 45. 
it says lack of power. That is my problem. Where am I to find this problem? And then it says, well, that's what this book is about. Its main object is get me to a power greater than myself. Evidence of God. You ready? You want to see it? Got it right here in Carson. Right here in Carson. Okay, there you go. An evidence of a power greater than myself. I, smart as I am, cannot make oxygen. I cannot. Some other power greater than me is making the oxygen, and that's why I like to burn candles besides they smell good. I get to have the evidence of God, right? So I come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. What are they talking about? What sanity? It, I, have, I now know the insanity of the first drink. I know the insanity of if a guy like me puts a drink or a drug in me, where I'll end up. That is how I've been restored to sanity. So I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to turn my, my thoughts and my actions, my will and my life over to the care of a God I may or may not understand, which I don't. If somebody tells me they understand God, I slowly back away and then run. Okay? I don't know. I remember when they used to be, remember VCRs? I couldn't even program a VCR. How am I going to understand some power that makes the earth spin around the sun at 55,000 miles an hour? You know what I mean? Come on. But am I willing to turn my will and my life over to the care? Okay. Great higher power in the sky, whatever it is, whatever, whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whoever you want me to help, I'll help. Right? All I need to know is I am not God. My first higher power was I believe that Earl believed. Okay. I have to tell you about how I met my sponsor when I finish. So there's step three. So I'm lack of power is my problem. I, I, I believe that some power greater than me can restore me to sanity or I'm willing to. And I turn my will and my life over to some, something I don't understand. Now I'm going to get a pen and paper out and I'm going to list all my resentments. I'm going to list who the first two columns. No problem. Who do I hate? And how, why do I hate them? And I thought column three was the tools I will use to kill them. No. So column one, who am I resentful at? Column two, why do I resent them? Column three, seven areas I, that it affects. Column four, what's my part? The only way I'm going to, because I can, there's only a couple of choices here. I can either continue to be miserable or I can make amends or I can forgive you. And I never knew that the last one was even an option, right? So, so I do a, a, a resentment. I got, I, I, I got to get rid of the, the resentment. I got to get it out of me. You know, have you ever been to a drug addict's house and they have an aquarium? You guys ever seen an aquarium in a drug addict's house? You can't even see into it. You know, like the pool in the backyard of somebody's house that they've, ne they've never cleaned? That's what it looked like inside me when I got here. So what good would it do to try to pour clean water in there? I first must dump out all the poison. I got to get rid of the hate. I got to get rid of the fear. And it's all fear. All of my anger, all of my character defects come from fear. Either I'm afraid I'm not going to get something I want, or I'm afraid I'm going to lose something I have. The, that's it. That is it. And if these 12 steps, if I work these 12 steps, 
I do this resentment inventory. I do a sex inventory of how I used to manipulate women, make them think that I cared about them so they would feed me and have sex with me and give me their money uh, or how I, uh, the things that I'm afraid of and why I'm afraid of or how I invited chaos into my life. The reason we do a resentment list is we find out where am I at fault? I'm mad at Dave, Dave, the heroin addict. I brought her into my house. You know, Dave, the junkie. I can't believe he stole my TV. I can't believe that I invited a junkie into my house and he had the nerve to steal my TV. So the way I get over that is my, where was I at fault? I invited Dave into my house and that's how, that's just one of the many things, you know? So anyway, so I do an inventory and then I share it with another sponsor, uh, another person, my sponsor, that's the fifth step. And then uh, I look at all my character defects. That's what that fourth column is for. I look at all these character defects. And I'm a liar and I'm a cheater and I'm a thief and I'm, I misrepresent myself and I'm dishonest and I'm lazy and all these things. And I ask God, God, please remove these from me. And I say the seven step prayer. And then I go and I make a list of all the people that I harmed and I stand in front of them and I say, Kathy, I'm very sorry for how I treated you. I was a very, uh, very bad friend to you. I'm standing in front of you asking you, is there any way I anything I can do to make it right. And you'll hear anything from just stay sober to go fuck yourself and anything in between. But I go hat in hand and I stand in front of all the people that I harm and I pay the $170,000 that I owed when I got sober. And I, by going through and asking people to forgive me, I become a person who is able to forgive. I never knew how to forgive. But when I had to go around to all these people and ask them to forgive me, I learned how to be forgiving, right? So step 10, you know, uh, tells me right there, there's this process in step 10 where I continue to look for where I'm selfish or, 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 or come off the road of happy destiny. And I immediately ask God, I step back and I ask, what's the fear? And ask God to remove it. And I talk to my sponsor about it. And I find out if I owe an amends, right? And if I do, I make that amends. Sometimes it's just like this. Hey, Pej, I really don't like the way I'm talking to you right now. I'd like to start over. And Pej would go, go ahead. And we'll start over. It can be that easy, right? So step 11, where I, I seek God. I seek all the time to improve my conscious contact with God, praying only for one thing. What is your will for me? What do you want me to do? And having had done all those things, having had unity with the body and recovery of the mind. And because I've done these things, if I've really worked and really done these, something's going to happen. And something did happen. Now, because I'm doing all this work, know that while I'm doing all this, I'm setting up chairs. I'm greeting people at the door, even though I fucking hate them, right? I'm doing my commitment. I'm acting better than I feel. I'm the cake person at a meeting. I'm the secretary. I'm the speaker seeker. And while I'm doing all that and doing my steps, and I'm really trying, something happened. One day, I forgave my father. I forgave him. One day, I started looking at life differently. Now you cut me off on the freeway, and instead of following you for 20 miles and then beating your ass, I think, Maybe that guy's having a bad day. I started to learn how to become compassionate, to have compassion for another person. And because I've had a result, the 12 step says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of doing this work, I can now close the triangle. Service. It's what it's all about. If you're new, you'll hear all the time, contrary action. 
Just practice contrary action. Just don't do what you want to do and do what you don't want to do, right? And on page 62 of this book, this beautiful book right here, it tells me what my problem is. And it doesn't mention alcohol or crack. It says selfish self-centeredness, that we think is the taproot of our problem. I'm a selfish person. Clint Hodges used to say, I'm self-centered. I need to find a new center. It's all I think about is me, right? Fuck you and hooray for me. When I got here, if you didn't have drugs, alcohol, money, or knew somebody that had one of those things, please get out of the way. Or, you know, you'd introduce yourself to me and go, hi, I'm Tim. My dad is the president of the Dodgers. And the first thing I think is tickets. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's how my brain would work. And I've tried and practiced so much to try to to be of service to people. I'm not perfect. I'm a a flawed human. But all day long, I try to be of service. I try. And at least I'm trying. Okay? That's what I'm doing. So having had that result, now I get to look at life differently. I get to have a new experience. If you're new, this goes so far past not drinking and using, man. You know? It's about having a, a life. It's about being present. Alcohol robbed me of now. I could never be in the present. I always had to be 10 minutes from now, an hour from now. You know, there was a great quote. I've been through some terrible things in my life, some of which have actually happened to me. You know, but never being in the present, just being like my sponsor taught me. Be right between those. Just be right here. My sponsor's name is Earl. He didn't give up on me for just, uh, just give me two more minutes. Okay. My sponsor's name is Earl. My, my girlfriend took me to a meeting. I said, I'll go to one more meeting. I'm never going to go to another one. And Earl was up there. I never met him before. And for the first time in my life, I heard the word maybe. And I asked that man to sponsor me. And for 15 years, even though I wanted to be sober, I couldn't stay sober. That man didn't let go of me. Right. He would wait for me. He would, he came to the County jail and stood in line for seven hours to see me for four minutes, right? He just kept loving me. Every time I ended up with a catheter in me, Earl showed up. He just didn't let go of me. So if you're new and you have a hard time staying sober, just don't give up. I'm the guy that couldn't get sober, man. I And I'm living in my own house, my own house, right? And I have people that love me. And I love people. I love my friends. Everything that I have, I have, it, I have been given it by a, some kind of fucking grace from Alcoholics Anonymous, okay? That's the truth. That's the truth. So if you're sponsoring somebody that's having a hard time, don't let go. Everybody told Earl, just give up. You got to let go of Danny because we're hard to love, man. You know, when you love somebody and they can't stay sober and they die, it breaks your heart. But he didn't let go of me, man. And because of that, I have this fucking amazing life, you know. And uh, the real magic is, is that I get to sponsor other men, you know, and I get to work the steps and I get to have this fantastic fucking life called Alcoholics Anonymous. So thanks so much for having me.